Let's see what the stew has for us today. Welcome to the Gnomecast, Gnome Stew's tabletop gaming advice podcast. Here we talk with the other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew, so I guess we'd better be good. This episode is brought to you by our awesome Patreon backers like the merciful Daniel Markwick, the bouncy Eric Bontz, and the captivating Bill Carter. Today we have myself, Ange, along with Phil and JT, and today we're going to talk about the communication options around RPGs and how it's changed over the years. You're going to get a fair amount of back-in-my-day in this episode, but hopefully it won't be too painful. Before we dive into that main topic, though, I want to ask our let's get to know a gnome question. And so what I want to know is how did you find your very first gaming group? Maybe not the first time you played, but your actual first group of players you consistently played with. Phil, I'm going to start with you. So I think my first consistent group was uh, my freshman year of high school. And I found them by reading game books in public. So I had just like I had I had brought um, Marvel superheroes, Children of the Atom, the uh, the the book all about the X Men. Mm-hmm. I had just brought it to school with me. It was in my backpack, and I was like reading it before homeroom, and I was reading it at lunch, and just along the way, other kids were like, "Oh, you're into the X Men," or "Oh, you're into role playing games," and like very quickly, kind of um, just was like, "Cool, you are too," and then boom, 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 and we were a group. And we stayed like that all through high school. We played every Friday. We all had off from our jobs on Fridays because uh, they all knew that it was game day. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that was my, I still, I still hang out with those guys. But like now that I moved away, I haven't actually had a chance to game with them in eons. But yeah, I, a lot of them still play too. I think they still have a home group uh, going down, <laughs> downstate. My, uh, my beginning was actually very similar. I was sitting in the lunchroom of, it was beginning of my senior year of high school, sitting in the lunchroom reading some big fat fantasy novel that had a dragon on the cover, and one of my friends brought the new kid to our table for lunch, and he slid over and he's like, do you play D&D? And I'm like, no. And he's like, do you wanna? And I was like, yes. You do now. And... (laughs) You know, he was he was kind of my first gaming group. I remember some of the people that were involved, but, you know, most of them were relatively transitory during our time of playing. So it was like there were a few central folks, but not a whole lot of cohesiveness. That didn't happen until I was in college. How about you, JT? Uh, so mine dates back to Cub Scouts. Uh, that's when I landed the uh, Mensa Red Box set um, and took it to a, uh, oh gosh, it was like a over spring break camp out. So it was more than just your usual like two day camp out for the Cub Scouts. We were camped out for four days, five days, something like that. And I had just gotten it. So I took it to the camp out so I could read it because that, that's kind of what I did at camp outs is I sat in my tent and I read. I didn't do the hikes and all that good stuff, right? Yeah, I wasn't a very good Cub Scout, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, by the end of that campout, uh, me and my den all had characters, and we'd run through an adventure, and we had to share the dice, the, the little set of dice that you had to crayon in the, the numbers on. And we stayed a gaming group from around age 10, 11. I was 10. Some of them were like a year older than me, but age 10 or 11, all the way up through junior high. And when we hit the high school wall, we kind of got scattered to the winds because some people moved and some people went to a different high school Mm -hmm. and and all that good stuff. And it was before we had uh, our own vehicles. So that game, you know, when we hit high school, it kind of, you know, scattered us to the winds. But for probably a good 
four years, we were a solid group uh, in Cub Scouts and then through early Boy Scouts as well. That's awesome. Now, dear listeners, as you may have surmised from our various intro stories here, we're all of a certain age. We all began gaming in the 80s. And all three of us have watched the world change around us along with the way you connect with other gamers. Or even, you know, the gamers you're already playing with and how you keep in touch. And we thought it would be cool if we we talked about, you know, the way things ch have changed. And, you know, what it was like back in the 80s and then what it was like as things started changing and what opportunities we have in front of us now. So let's talk about the way it was back in the 80s when we all started playing. So I vaguely remember, you know, being talked to during school about, you know, hey, game this Saturday or game this Friday or, you know, that's about it. Or getting a phone call. There was really no other, no other options there. Right. Same here. Same here. It was word of mouth or that phone call. And you just kind of hoped people showed up. Did either of you ever do the, uh, the bulletin board thing at the friendly local game shop? I, I, my town was like so small that we didn't get a friendly local game shop until partway into high school. So like I started playing like in middle school, mm -hmm. so there was no, there was no bulletin board. And even then, I don't remember if they had a player board, there were just pockets of kids that played games and really didn't mix. Like if, mm -hmm. if you were in that group, like you played in that group. And if you were in my group, you were in my group and very rarely did anyone cross over. My understanding is that, that my, my home city, Rochester, still has a bit of a reputation for insular gaming for that very reason. We had our pockets of people who are playing GURPS, our pockets of people who are playing Palladium, our pockets of D&D &D players, and they really didn't mix well at all. Which is incredible <laughs> because your town of Rochester, especially in the 80s, 90s, and into the early 2000s, was known for Crazy Igors. Oh, yeah. Like one of the largest game stores, either by mail or at conventions. Crazy Igor's discount gaming warehouse, right? Or I believe he used to run it out of his garage until he got a storefront in about 90, 91, 92. I was there. I went to I went yeah. to college in Rochester, so <laughs> <laughs> and and we had uh we had pretty amazing conventions. We had SimCon and Ruticon. Uh, SimCon was University of Rochester's game convention, and Ruticon was uh, Rochester Institute of Technology's game convention. One was in the spring, one was in the fall. And I know that, that SimCon, at its height in the 80s, used to get about 2,000 attendees. That's you know, pretty good. It was, it was, I remember, you know, getting that brief feeling of feeling like I was an Ivy School student because I was running around this, you know, storied old campus with its steam tunnels, trying to find which building my game was in. A little mazes and monsters action. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I did the, the bulletin board thing at the friendly local game shop as well. Matter of fact, that's how I met one of my longest running friends. I had created a role-playing game, needed playtesters, put up a, a note saying, hey, I need playtesters for fantasy-based RPG, and a handful of people answered. And some of them have stuck in my life since then. And this was 90... One ninety two, ninety two, I think that this was, and um, one of those buddies introduced me to online gaming, uh, which we we might talk about here in a bit. You know, MUDs, text based, uh, pre graphic 
adventures and stuff where you you had to type kill orc or you know walk north or run north or whatever, <laughs> right? And it was on that game where I uh, met my wife, and we've been married almost 22 years now. So you can see that chain of events. If I hadn't created that role-playing game, I would have never put up the note to meet the friend to get mm-hmm. on the game to meet my wife. It's crazy. that I mean, like 92, 93 were, were life-changing years for me uh, eventually. Yeah, for me, it was uh, 1989. My high school D&D group had dried up pretty much because... Like I said, it was a lot of people that came and went, so it kind of all revolved around Tom, the GM. Tom was great. I adore him. I'm still in contact with him. He's out in San Francisco. He had the most amazing 50th birthday party D&D cake that looked like the cover of the uh, the original, uh, I think it was the player's handbook, the, the big demon thing with the, the eye. Yep, yep, yep. Anyway, you know, that kind of dried up because he joined the reserves and disappeared. And I was in college and taking a science fiction lit class. And one of the folks in that class stood up and announced that they were trying to form a gaming club and they were going to be meeting on such and such a date in such and such a room. And if you're interested, come on by. And it took me a solid week to build up the courage to go by myself. But I went and that's where I met the folks that became part of my college era gaming group. So again, no, you know, no special levels of communication, just that you you knew somebody, you know, yep. you either took the courage and met somebody or you, you knew somebody and there were connections from there. So let's move on to the way it started to change. You know, let's let's bring in that technology because, you know, as JT said, muds and mushes and, you know, the availability of the Internet started changing in the 90s. Wait, wait, hold on a second. Hold on a second. We're, we're, we're getting a call. I, I think it's from 1987. So, so yeah, way things changed in the, the 90s and 2000s, for me, the, I think the big change was BBSs, uh, bulletin mm-hmm. board systems, dial-up systems back in the day. You know, they were all typically local or regional. There were a few nationals, but hey, you had to call long distance and that got pricey pretty quick. I remember running two BBSs. So we had three phone lines coming into our house, one for the humans and one for two different computers. And I ended up merging those into one computer that could handle both BBSs with two modems in it and all that good stuff. But one was for, to kind of support the local gaming community and not online gaming, but, you know, yeah, it, it was like that, that cork board at the game store type, you know, message boards uh, for people to coordinate games. And then the other was to support communication for the local Shire. Uh, I used to be in the Society for Creative Anachronisms. Mm-hmm. And so I put together a BBS where we could stay in touch for who's going to be at fighter practice, who's going to this ceremony, who's going to this, that, and the other. So similar, similar things, but two, two distinct different audiences. So I had two different BBSs at the time. How about you, Phil? Did you get into any of the BBSs or anything like that? I know, I knew you were a very well-behaved college student. Yes, and kept you gaming to your breaks. I, I did. But... I did actually. So I would. Well, no, I didn't get too much into BBSs. I was actually well-behaved in college. I didn't have a college group. I had a um, break group, right? So I played summers and whatever. So that was still my high school group. So for me, I I got into a little bit of AOL. So the AOL Mm -hmm. uh, chat rooms, which then gave way to access to news groups. So I was reading a lot of, um, I forget what it was, like games, RPG, 
like I forget if it was alt.gamestar or PG, whatever it was, but the I think you just nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. So I was reading I was reading a lot of those, you know, dot cyberpunk, dot D D, whatever. So I did a lot of that. And then by the mid nineties for my own group, I would start them fairly frequently. I would start Yahoo mail groups for mm-hmm. um organizing my games. So like my one of my longer running games was a D twenty modern heist game and that had a um Yahoo mail group that was active the second the second we stopped playing all the way till the next time we were playing like we were emailing each other like all during work and stuff like that back when I had a position low enough that there were like gaps in my day where I was like writing code and like oh I'll just run this and see if it worked and then while that's compiling I'm like you know knocking out an email to the group kind of thing so I did a lot of um metagaming like outside gaming like outside of the game i did a lot of that via yahoo mail groups for me what happened is uh my my college gaming group did not have endurance we we tended to revolve around one particular gm and he had a little bit of uh gm shiny uh <laughs> he would he would run a campaign for about four or five sessions and then Either things weren't going the way he expected, so he'd flake out on it, or something new would come along that he wanted to try. And so we we had this cycle of very short campaigns that died, you know, little deaths all over the place. And, you know, I still love those guys. I'm still, you know, super close with most of those folks. But probably around 94, 95, we stopped gaming. Like, nobody... I had not developed my cat herding skills to the level they are now, so I was not organizing the gaming group, and I certainly didn't have the confidence to GM at the time, so I wasn't doing that. And I ended up finding my gaming fix through mushes, and I played a crap ton of World of Darkness, but I don't feel like I played a crap ton of World of Darkness because none of it was in person. Right. It was all online, all mushes, you know, through so pretty much through the nineties, that was that was how I got my gaming fix. You know, I was still buying the books, I was still reading stuff. I hated second edition D D, so I, I kind of <sighs> set that aside, but was very into World of Darkness through that time period. World of Darkness was like a big game changer. I I I think that up to that point, I mean there were plenty of other RPGs that were like out at the time. I mean, I had tons of them, but mm-hmm. there was something about, I remember, I remember coming home from college and one of the guys in my home group had the white wolf or the vampire masquerade book on, uh, mm-hmm. like on their desk. And I was like, what is this? And like, we like immediately were like, Oh, we're playing this game. <laughs> like, this is, <laughs> you know, and it did, it had like a big transformative effect. I like, I can, there was definitely a time before I had seen a white wolf game. And then after, it it definitely had that that community building aspect to it in the way that it like it just drew people in and like you know i'm not a larper i don't enjoy larps but i understand you know why those formed around world of darkness games the way they did oh yeah absolutely oh yeah you know same with the you know the 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 it's a little hard to describe but the 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 mushes that were out there it was all you had to do was take a city name and add by night to right, it. Right. And and that's what you had 
for uh, you know, for so many mushes out there. San Francisco by night, indie by night. Yeah, just those two words changes the whole connotation of the city in the yeah. right context. Right. Actually, the the indie by night one was called "Start Your Engines, Indie by Night." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I very much had a Buffalo by night by the mid '90s when I moved to Buffalo and was running Vampire. I had a, a Buffalo mm-hmm. by night, and there was actually a pretty big LARP scene. I, I was not part of it. I'm I'm not a um not a big LARPer either, but uh, Buffalo was actually known for having a really big uh, Vampire LARP scene. Yes, I've known I've known some some Rochesterians that would make that that hour trip to Buffalo for that LARP oh, wow. um, over the years. So. Again, Rochester has this fractious nature to it, despite, you know, despite the wealth of resources we have here, I don't think they ever were able to get a LARP up and running close to, even close to what Buffalo had going at the time. There were little pockets, but they never, they never quite got along well enough to, to form one giant robo LARP <laughs> thing. Voltron LARP. Voltron LARP, yes. <laughs> You know, so going through, you know, going through the 90s, heading towards the 2000s, you also had the the, the rise of the forum. You mm-hmm. know, I know that's where I got a lot of my, you know, my information in, in connectivity during that period. And I know the, the fo- when do you know when the forge started, Phil? Forge was, I think, early 2000s. I remember lurking on it because I was intimidated as hell by it. Yeah, I, I actually had my own um, pro boards was the big board provider. Like if you wanted your own forums, pro boards could host it for you. And uh, I had like a 20 or 30 person pro boards that was basically like all my gamer friends. And, you know, we had um, sections for general chat and, you know, movies and places to argue. There were a lot of arguments. <laughs> I had... Um, <laughs> Separate forums, like I, I had separate, I had separate for like boards set up for games that people were running, so that they could like you know chat with their group or you know play in between and stuff. Oh, I like I lived in forums through, um, <laughs> through the late nineties. Yeah, yeah. Oh, forums is one of the things forums. I never really got into, even to this day, because they're they're not either. If I turn on the alerts, the the email alerts to say, hey, there's a new post, go read it. I'm it's overwhelming. So I don't, so I don't mm-hmm. do that. And it's not a thing that I go check on a regular basis. I, I'm a member of, I don't know, two, three, four different forums, web-based forums, and they're just not on my radar for some reason. It, it's a, a blind spot to me. Yeah, I think, th- I think the heyday of forums was probably very late 90s through towards the mid-late 2000s. And it was, it was, if you, you got the most out of it when you were checking it on a regular basis. Every 15 minutes. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) On average. (laughs) You know, another thing that, that started changing in the, uh, the the late nineties into the early two thousands was the, uh, the MMORPG. And while it's not, you know, while EverQuest and WoW and their like are not necessarily, directly related to the tabletop RPGs we play, they one wouldn't exist without tabletop RPGs. And two connected so many people with similar interests. Totally. I started playing EverQuest uh I wanna say in two thousand and 
one of the guilds I joined, a bunch of folks were talking about this shiny new D and D version that came out, and we should totally play it. And when I got to meet them in per- person, I actually played 3.0 for the very first time and was like, I think I like D&D again. And uh, we actually tried playing online. I remember us having some sort of website we could go to that had a map interface and we could roll dice, but there was no voice chat. You had to, you had to type to talk to each other. And we actually played a, a short campaign that way. You know, it was it was painful, but it was like that 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 lit the spark back up in me that I needed a face to face gaming group. Did either of you have any early experiences with trying to play online? You know, in the two in the two thousands. In the two thousands, yes. Here, so EverQuest was definitely on my my one of my games that I played. I remember playing it when we lived in our apartment right after moving to Colorado. So that would have been ninety eight, I think. Yeah, around there somewhere. I don't think, I think EverQuest came out in 99. It might have been 99 then, yeah, because we were in that apartment for about a year and a half. So yeah, 98, 99, around there somewhere. And I had a horribly old CRT monitor that was mostly burned out. And I could turn the, I had a hack where I could turn the gamma way up so I could actually see what what the hell was going on in the game. (laughs) And then they patched the game and removed my hack which meant I could no longer play the game without buying a new monitor that I couldn't afford at the time. So I just quit playing. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my EverQuest story is my, my monitor made me stop playing the game. But uh, no, I went from there. I played WoW. Um, I've played a handful of others. They never really grabbed me because it's not, I don't know, it, it's not the same feel as at the table. And I love that tabletop experience. Yeah. For me, it was, I enjoyed the, it basically re reawoke that desire to have a face-to-face gaming group because I liked the interaction and the, the connectivity of people. I also learned that I have a little bit too much of an obsessive personality and, you know, I have to be very careful with MMOs because they will consume my life. By the way, have I mentioned that the misdirected Mark group has a Minecraft server? Like. <laughs> <laughs> Is is the information is the information for that Minecraft server on the uh, MMP forums? No, no, you um, patrons. Um, it's in the Slack room. There's a gotcha. There's a uh, what's called. There's a Slack channel for the misdirected for the Minecraft group. <laughs> so just become a patron of misdirected Mark if you want to get in on that Minecraft action. You got it. <laughs> did you do any MMOs in the 2000s, Phil? No, I did. So I didn't, and the reason I didn't was I had one friend who got super into EverQuest. And he was in my gaming group. And then my gaming group was also like my peer group. So like all of our significant others were in that larger group. And he went so overboard on it that his fiance was complaining about it to everybody else's significant other. (laughs) And I like we like get in the car after this, like after this um, dinner one night. And uh, my fiance is like. Are you gonna play that EverQuest game? Because like my, it's you, like it's 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 like eating all of Mike's time. And I was like, no, like I wouldn't do that. Like, so no. There's a reason they called it EverQuest. Yep. Yes. Oh yeah. And he played a bunch of them because he went from that to Star Wars to like I mean he like chained those yeah. like one after the other. That's that's what a lot of people do. And I uh, I, I I ventured back into the MMO back in 2014. I. Uh, 
I tried out, uh, it's not Neverwinter Nights, it's, it's just Neverwinter, I think. Uh, it was a free-to-play one, and for a free-to-play one, it wasn't too obnoxious with the trying to get you to do microtransactions. <laughs> and, you know, I played through, you know, like, played through the opening parts of it, solo, you know, leveled myself up, it was enjoyable, and then I got into a guild, and I remembered, oh, that's why Ange needs to be careful with these things. <laughs> You know, because it's like, all I can think about is like, they're playing right now. I could be playing with them. And it's like, no, Ange, you need to work. You need to pay for the roof over your head. You can't just abandon everything to go live online. <laughs> that was my that was my um, introduction to magic was mm. magic before MMOs. Magic is the thing that like, you know, I had to quit because I had to pay rent. Yeah, I'm I'm getting close to that. I'm looking down near my feet at the six massive boxes of cards and and cringing. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I had a I had a friend who uh, pretty much paid for most of a car in the '90s by selling a uh, couple of complete sets of uh, the the first generation of oh, Magic yeah. cards. Oh yeah, legit. Yeah. So let's move on to now. Because, you know, you're, you, you folks out there are listening to a podcast, which is one of these, these you know, shiny, fangled new things. <laughs> uh, and, you know, we've got, we've got the internet, we've got social media, we've got, you know, so many ways to find new gamers. We've got Roll20, you know, we've got Twitch, we've got so many, so many ways to connect to each other. Yeah. yeah. How do you feel? How do you feel? It's um. How do you feel this this modern age of communication has kind of changed the way you do gaming, JT? Honestly, it's a bit overwhelming because there's so many different channels of communication that that either can be checked or have to be checked to stay on top of everything. So I really try to hyper focus things down and keep you know my D and D groups on Discord or my gaming groups on Discord. That way I've got one app to open up. It gives me a little red dot if I have a new message to go look at. I'm looking at my web browser now. I've got three different pinned slot channels for various things, which works well for me because it changes the little, the little um, slot icon from gray to white or red if there's a notification. As you can probably tell, if it's not in my face, I'm not going to notice it. So forums, Facebook notifications, unless I'm on Facebook, just don't work for me. But how, how has it changed things? It's made it so much easier. I mean, I sound like I'm grousing like an old man here, but it really has made things, things a lot easier between the games of who's who's in, who's out. Oh, well, this guy's out. He was the key player for the main character or for this plot arc that's ongoing. So let's pause that game for this week and play, I don't know, Battletech instead or Ogre or let's bring some board games and have some fun with those. Or maybe we fire up an alternate campaign that doesn't involve this guy who's out uh, or a one shot so stuff like that. It, it, it's really helped out. How about you, Phil? Yeah. I mean, I've kind of standardized. <laughs> I've, I've now standardized everything. I went, I tried every tool uh, possible since like the mid two thousands, right? Since like the 2010s, I had done Google sites to make customized web page or customized websites for all my campaigns. I have done, I think every communication platform possible. Like right now, I'm pretty much settled into Slack, which I got to before I got to Discord. So Slack is kind of my jam. And I do have a personal Slack instance that's like just for uh, my gaming group. So we have channels open for all the games that are played. Plus, you know, kind of like our forum days, like we have channels for discussing other stuff. 
Google Calendar. Mm-hmm. Uh, Google Calendar is a must. Yes, um, yes. That is, Absolutely. everybody in my group uses it, and so all of our games are scheduled on Google Calendar, like whose house it's going to be at, when it's going to be, because most people have those calendars shared with their significant others. So mm-hmm. uh, that keeps everybody in the loop of like where people are going to be when we're gaming, that kind of thing. Google Docs and Google Drive for sharing stuff out. Yep. That's like, that's always a must. Like I always have a Google Docs for rules, addendums, things like that. And then a Google Drive folder to put up, you know, character sheet PDFs and all like, you know, any of those, um, any kind of digital assets for a game. Yeah, there's almost no excuse to not have your character anymore because all you need to do is throw it up on Google Drive, throw the PDF up on Google Drive, and then just, oh, crap, I forgot my notebook today. Yeah, yep. And you've got your PDF you can grab for, for, you know, those emergencies. We actually had that happen last night. It had been about a month and a half since we played, and one of the guys was like, oh, crap, I can't find my leveled version of the character. Oh, wait, I put the PDF up on, you know, up on Google Drive. So he was all set. Nice. I, I- I'm also did like I'm also as digital as possible for my own stuff. So I have all my PDFs loaded up onto my iPad. Same here. So I I mm-hmm. rarely have I rarely have a physical book with me, and my own prep like when I'm running games is done through OneDrive. So mm-hmm. I prep it at my desk, like on you know like on my Mac. Like I'll sit and work on my notes or whatever for a game. Not that there are a ton of notes, but there's still notes. But when it's game time, it's my iPad. So I just bring out my iPad, open up OneNote. There's all my, you know, there's my prep for the session right there. I still like having at least one physical copy of the book at the table because there's always that like, oh, crap, I wanted to look this up or I wanted to check this thing. And you can just, you know, rather than having to hand over your tablet, you can just hand oh. over. Oh, yeah, the I, book. Do the same. I absolutely agree. I still I still have physical books for everything I run, um, <laughs> but I do have the convenience, like because I have it in PDF. If uh, so, one, if I'm going to a convention, I almost never bring physical books because I keep it light. But for game nights and stuff where it's just like, you know, either my house or somebody else's house, I, I, I'm good. Like, I'll just throw books in a bag or something. The other advantage of PDF is like if I'm at work and I need to look something up, you know, I'm just like, do to do, like open it up on, you know, open up the computer, my phone, whatever, like quick check a rule, you know, answer mm-hmm. a answer a Slack post or something like that. One of the things I love about now is the way I can stay connected to gamers. I don't all I don't see all the time. Like I have my regular group. I play with them pretty frequently. We're all local to one another. But I have this, I have, uh, I call them the invitational group. I have these folks I game with online every couple of months or so, and we play at Origins or we play at other cons we get together with. And I can stay connected with those folks. I can stay connected with my friends I've met through the MMP community, you know, through the, the various connections. You know, I feel like those relationships are stronger now because of the way I can stay connected, even if we're not in each other's spaces all the time. It's, it's, it's made having those casual once in a while groups a lot. It's made them possible. I I mean, I agree totally. Like I am like, I have, um, cause I have a number of Slack channels. I am friends with so many people that I know, uh, almost strictly through conventions, right? Like I met them through conventions. Mm -hmm. I almost only see them physically at conventions, but I talk to them constantly. Um, it's great. <laughs> like, uh, in fact, that's how I went to, um, Eric Bonses, who's, you know, 
in part who also made this episode possible. Um, I went to his uh, surprise 40th birthday party in Wisconsin because I'm still in contact with all those people and was like, cool, I'll hop a flight and bring in some games. Nice. Yeah. I really wanted to go to that. I just, uh, I had already committed to going to running gags, so I couldn't. And it was the same weekend. Oh, it was, it was good times. If there is a pain with this modern age and all the connections we have, it's that there's not enough time and not enough resources to be able to do all the things yes, I want Yes, agreed. Or play all the games we want to play. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I need to not be, like, I need to, I'm looking forward to the next phase, which uh, is closer for us uh, as we have gotten older, which is uh, <laughs> when I retire. Right. <laughs> and uh, I'm, like, and I have all these digital assets and a whole bunch of free time because now I have I'm later in my career I have way less free time than I did when I was um when I was younger but now like the connectivity like I'm planning on you know like I don't know I'm gonna have like two or three running online games every week nice. like I don't, when I <laughs> like when I retire like the gaming's just going up like <laughs> I, I'm still I'm still waiting for somebody to establish that first gamer retirement community oh I'm in oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> Any last words on, you know, our modern age compared to how it used to be? It's way better. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> agreed. It is so much better. <laughs> There's, I mean, yeah. I know the OSR looks, you know, to nostalgia in the past for simplicity of gaming, but for communication and connectivity, no, no, it, this is good and it only gets better from here. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I'll say as a last thing, it's like our, our modern age, you know, the gaming community still has, it still has a way to go with inclusivity and diversity and all of this, but our modern communication opens up the doors so much farther than they were back in the 80s. It's like, it's, you don't have, you know, back in the 80s, it was these little insular pockets of people playing games and like, it was hard to break into yep. those sometimes. And well, you can still have your insular pockets of gamers now, it's so much easier to like, well, I'm not getting in that group, so I'm just going to look over here instead and find, you can find other gamers of like mind so much easier. Absolutely. Totally. Yeah. And I think with that, let's get out of here. This show is funded by the Gnome Stew Patreon. You too can become a Patreon backer by following the Patreon link on the Gnome Stew website to the Gnome Stew Patreon. This ad brought to you by Mr. Peabody's Wayback Machine. No, we don't have the licensing for this, but that damn thing was pretty useful. And anytime you're feeling bad about the way things are now, not exactly being how they should be, you can hop in the Wayback Machine and take a look at how they used to be and realize, slowly but surely, things do change. If you're enjoying the Gnomecast, you'll probably like many of the other Misdirected Mark shows. Here's another one to check out. Train alongside fellow students Eric Farmer and Eli Kurtz in Jang-Hu Hustle. Eric and Eli make their Kung Fu stronger by watching wuxia films, then discussing how to apply their observations to game design. You can find all of us at gnomestew.com, at gnomestew on Twitter, and gnomestew on Facebook. Gnomes, where else can we find you on the internet? JT, go! JTEvans.net is your one-stop shop for all things JT. And the top of every page is links to all my various social media, so that's kind of the easiest way to find me. Phil, go! Uh, you can always find me on Twitter, at DNA Phil. And then you can check me out on the other podcasts I routinely show up on uh, as co-host of The Misdirected Mark. You can join us live Tuesdays, 8 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. The Queen's Time. So you can hit that up on Twitch or you can just catch us um, where you normally get your podcast. And you can always check me out on uh, Pandas Talking Games. 
with my other excellent co-host, Senda, where we um, mix a little bit of ridiculousness with a whole bunch of gaming info. And, Just a uh, little bit of ridiculousness? Depends Just on, a little bit? Depends on the night. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, um, you can always check me out at Encoded Designs and see what kind of stuff uh, we're making and designing. And where do people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram as orichez 13 though, as always, I will warn people, Instagram is mostly just pictures of cats. So, okay. So do you guys think we avoided the stew this week? Uh, yeah, I, just, I, mean, I slacked John uh, while we were, while we were on here. I slacked him and checked. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Gnomecast is hosted by Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. All right. Good show, everyone. I will send the... What? What the... Mom, hang up the phone! I'm using the internet! Why does the 